Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Hello, everyone. Today is our last part of our series on overcoming objections to Christianity. We've looked at, is Jesus the only way to God? Christians are hypocrites. Why does God allow suffering? The Bible is too antiquated. And now today, Christianity is lame. I want to start by asking you a question. Let's say you are sharing your faith with a friend, and they say to you, well, I'm glad that Christianity works for you, but it sounds like no fun to me. How would you respond to somebody who said that? I mean, let's think about it. Is Christianity no more than a set of restrictions we set on our lives, like a straitjacket? Listen into this episode as we discuss how following Jesus is an exciting adventure worth pursuing. Here now is Offscript episode 22, Christianity is Lame. Today we're talking about the objection that Christianity is lame. <laughs> it goes something like this, especially among young folks. Christianity doesn't sound like it's any fun. Maybe I'll look into that later, but for now, I just need to enjoy my life. Or you see outsiders perceiving Christianity and Christians as miserable people who worry about sin and guilt all the time. Christ followers don't party, they don't drink, they don't gamble, they don't dance, they don't have premarital sex, they don't watch movies with violence, sexual content, horror, and so on. They don't do anything fun. So... Let me start by asking this. Have you guys heard this kind of objection before? I have heard that question, and most of the time it's from people who are on the fringes of the church, you know, somewhat regular attenders, who appreciate some of the benefits of being um, in Christian circles. They may even like Bible study. They may like Christian friendships. And, you know, they may really like the music at church. But I think it can be a commitment issue if some people don't want to surrender and, and take up their cross daily and follow. And yes, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I'll do that when I'm older, almost as if it's just a given, and they will automatically desire that, and surrender will simply happen of its own accord. But that's something you have to choose, and it's something you have to do daily to take up your cross. Uh, I agree with the roads. I've heard it not so explicitly, Christianity isn't fun, but I've heard it in the context, and I've also fallen into this trap myself of, well, I'm young right now, I'm in college, and that stuff's all well and fine, I believe it, but it's not really something that I can do right now. And let me unpack that a little bit. I am certainly guilty of this. (laughs) And it's funny what Rose just said about the notion that uh, spiritual matters and coming around to Christ and living your your life in a godly way will take care of itself. Because I also had that notion. And it's a trap because the years that you spend living the way that you want to live, if you come around to it later in life, you still have to deal with everything that you've done in the past. And and the issues that you've created for yourself by living your life that way. Here I developed some bad habits, and now I need to overcome them if I'm going to live my life in a full way for Christ. And you're working against yourself, even if in the back of your mind you feel like at some point you're going to come around and devote your life to Christ. I definitely had this mindset growing up, especially as a teenager, where I would go to youth camps and I would hear my dad and other preachers going on about how we need to live a certain way or take God seriously or uh, some really 
excellent sermons on the cross of Christ growing up. And they were very moving, but I always just kind of said to myself, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do right now. So like what you said really resonated with me, Dan. To some degree, there is truth in that statement. Oh, Christianity is no fun. And in another sense, that's an exaggeration. I feel like it's a really strong exaggeration. I mean, if you think about the various behaviors that we're talking about defined by the word fun, we're talking about getting drunk, having sex outside of marriage, going to clubs and hooking up or dancing in a lustful manner with somebody. We're talking about watching bad movies. You know, these are the sorts of maybe doing drugs. I don't know. These are the sorts of behaviors that we're labeling as fun. Most of the restrictions Christianity brings into the picture aren't really that extreme if you take a look at what the Bible says, because the Bible does not preach asceticism, that is, denying all pleasure. In the Bible, you can drink, but you can't get drunk. You can have sex, but it has to be within marriage. You can dance. David danced before the Lord, but he didn't do it lustfully. Naked. (laughs) (laughs) Scantily clad, right? Christians can watch movies. Christians make movies. But they don't watch movies that damage their souls. At least, we're not supposed to watch movies that damage our souls. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a lot of these things that people are labeling fun, they're looking at something that is, is probably just fine, but then they're taking it to an extreme mm. where it's actually not fine anymore. And if you think about it, most kinds of fun are pretty neutral, pretty morally neutral if you broaden your scope a little bit from the stereotypical Friday night activities that young people do, I mean, I'm going skiing this Thursday. That's going to be fun. If you're a non-Christian, you can ski. If you're a Buddhist, you can ski. If you're, if you're a Jewish person, you can, whatever. Like, doesn't matter. Or hang out with friends is fun. Going on trips, vacations, adventures, playing cards is fun. And if you're a Christian, you can't do that in the South, but I don't live in the South. <laughs> playing with my kids is fun. Exploring the life of the mind and reading and education is fun. Or what about sports or games or hiking or camping? I mean, there's so many various kinds of fun that are just morally neutral. And I I don't think this is really a Christian versus non-Christian issue once we broaden the scope a little bit. With a lot of those things also that the first list that you gave, Sean, um, the kinds of fun, uh, you know, quote unquote, that Christians aren't supposed to have, a lot of them have a serious price tag um, and have serious consequences. And, you know, it may be the pleasures of sin for a season, but in the long run, a lot of times, you know, in addition to glorifying God, by abstaining from those kinds of things, you spare yourself. And sometimes um, the amount of heartache that follows in the form of consequences of something like that more than outweighs um, you know, the, the pleasures of sin for a moment. I think what's attractive about the sort of illicit types of fun that, you know, that non-Christians would, would look at and be attracted to and you know, that I've engaged in, it's been the attraction of the unknown. It's like, well, I've never done that before, and I'm taught that it's wrong, but let me try it and see for myself. It's that sort of, you know, exploratory stage of life that really pulls at Christians and non-Christians alike. And I feel like especially for Christians who grew up in a Bible-believing family, as I did, as Sean did, uh, as Rose did, oftentimes that doesn't stop. In fact, it exacerbates that curiosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the line that needs to occur in your own heart is one 
where at a young age you set boundaries for yourself. And this is only something that I've learned, you know, as an adult that I wish I knew and internalized when I was much younger because mm -hmm. I have fallen into that, that issue of, well, I did these things and now there are consequences and now I have to come back from it. And it's, it's definitely something that if I had learned and internalized it when I was at a younger age, I feel like I'd be in a much better position than I am now. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. I'm not beating myself up about it unduly, but... But you're recognizing it. Yeah, I'm recognizing that there needs to be repair done and, and you know, moving forward. Well, in reality, you did have boundaries. Everybody has boundaries. I mean, there are all kinds of drugs that I bet you never tried. <laughs> that, thankfully, is true. Right? <laughs> and, and, like, even in, in my worst dysfunction and chaos and sinfulness, I never even came close to doing cocaine. Right. For example. Yeah, same here. Because for me, I knew I, I had that as a boundary. It doesn't matter how old or young I was because I knew that this drug was going to rewire my brain's sense for pleasure and that it was going to be highly addictive and right. expensive. So I just probably a lot of that had to do with my parents, but also the anti-drug programs in the mm -hmm. schools and all, and all that. So everybody does have some boundaries. It's just where, where are you drawing them? Yeah. And I, I think you're right. It, it is helpful when we're young to think that through a little bit more. And here here's the tricky part for me as a young person was I'm the kind of person that needs to own my own, my own rules. Mm. And, you know, as a child, of course, I followed my parents' rules because that's what you do when you're a kid. But... Once I got out of the house and once I'm out in the real world, so to speak, I don't want to follow the rules of my parents or someone else. And that really was my main issue. It wasn't until I crashed and burned my life that I said, huh, maybe, maybe I'm not that good at making the rules for myself. Yeah. I think young people have a natural tendency to, to want to push back and write their own rules. And there's an arrogance about you when you're young. And that arrogance can lead to, you know, you charting your own course, which if you don't write the ship can lead to serious issues. I think there's a way of thinking about following Christ. And I think it's very historically accurate that looks at it as adventure, mm. looks at it as danger. Yeah. And th these are kind of lost frequently in our modern context where... Christianity we think of today as a kind of passiveness. Rather than engaging in certain behaviors, you sit them out. You stay home. Mm -hmm. That's the perception of Christianity. Whereas in the first century, to, to name Christ as Lord, to recognize Him as Messiah in a Jewish context, that's, that's equivalent to being a political revolutionary. And in a Roman context, to leave the the standard Greco-Roman sensibility for idol worship for the worship of an invisible God who has a son that's going to return and establish his kingdom over against Caesar. I mean, that's political insurrection. And so Christianity was dangerous. It sure was dangerous for Jesus. Mm -hmm. It sure was dangerous for that first group of followers. It sure was dangerous for Stephen when he got rocks thrown at his head until he died. Well, so I feel like there's an aspect here that we've lost. Maybe that's because we live in a different time. And, well, I think I think Christianity has been dangerous since its inception, and 
continues to be throughout today. We happen to live in a country where religious freedom is, you know, there's a premium on it and we're, we're happy to be taking advantage of that. But in other countries where religious freedom is restricted, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. I mean, you talk about Iran, you talk about mm -hmm. China, North Korea, forget about it. Certain places in Africa, it is dangerous to, to be a Christian. When I was traveling abroad to one of these places, it was, I, I found myself thinking the fact that these people have to fight for their beliefs, not necessarily fight in a you know physical sense, but fight mentally through poverty, through you know a lack of resources, through you know language barriers, and even though they're poor, very poor, it sets them up to really own their faith because they, it's costing them something. I found myself being somewhat envious of them. The place I visited, there wasn't necessarily restrictions. There weren't restrictions on religious freedom, but there were impediments to practicing a religion, namely poverty. And I just found myself being somewhat envious of them that their faith, they had to depend on God. They had to pray. They had to love each other. They had to work together to, to eat for their very you know subsistence. And it's definitely a dynamic that doesn't exist in the U.S. and a lot of other first world countries. In my undergrad, similar uh, to what you said, Dan, at my school, we had a pastor from the Middle East come and he shared about the dangers of, of being a pastor and then also for everyone in his congregation. And I was so, so impressed by the bravery and the courage and what their faith was to them. And also, for, especially for the burden that he sort of bore as shepherd to, to be brave, you know, in the face of persecution and in the face of being so unpopular and kind of viewed as a threat to the culture and the heritage of his nation. I was also impressed with the need that he felt um, to care for his congregation. I mean, in terms of safety, but also in terms of, of spiritual development, it was amazing. And it was, I think, you know, everyone was silent in the room. We could have heard a pin drop. And there was a sense of wishing, wishing we could live bravely like that too. Um, so I know what you mean, and I, I've never visited one of those countries myself personally, but he took us all there um, in that moment, and I will never forget that. I don't think we necessarily need to go to other countries to experience this exciting aspect of Christianity. Evangelism is fun. Hmm. Evangelism is exciting. Yes, being a missionary is exciting. It's, it's certainly not lame, that's for sure. <laughs> you're out there risking your life, you're out there preaching especially if you're on the kind of mission trip where you're reaching people who have not heard the message before or people who are not already Christian. If you're, if you're going to another country and you're painting a, a swing set in an orphanage, I mean, that's nice. That's Matthew 25. That's taking care of people, but that's not necessarily exciting, okay? I, I'm talking about where you're preaching in a village or preaching one-on-one -on -one with somebody, you learn the language or you have an interpreter right there, and you're able to actually share with folks who have not heard the message before. That's exhilarating. And that is something that people are doing, Christians are doing all over the world. And I especially appeal to young folks that are out of high school, that either before they go to college or maybe they go to college and they, and they can't find a job or they have some available time to, to go on a trip like this and to hook up with a group that is doing this kind of work. I would recommend the Lord's Harvest International, for example. That's a group that I went with associated with the Church of God. Or there are lots of other groups, too. And go and, and do something, because the time to do it is when you don't have all these other responsibilities on you. 
once you've started your career, it's really hard to get away. Once you've bought a house, it's really hard to escape the mortgage payment. Once you've had kids, unless you're going to bring them with you, you really shouldn't be away for long extended periods of time. You're supposed to be a parent. And then the other period of your life where you really have this missionary opportunity is once the kids are out of the house, and especially if they're all the way through college, and now you have this, uh, we call them empty nesters, you know, that kind of experience. Well, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit in front of a slot machine and waste away all of your money one lever at a time? Or are you going to go out there and take a flag for Christ and put it on a mountain that has never had one before? (laughs) I mean, that's that's more. And I, um, I I have an interview with uh, Dr. Joe and uh, Rebecca Martin coming out shortly, and that's what they're going to do. They just bought a house. So they, they they use their own money. They refinanced their own house and they bought another house in Africa, in their late 60s, and that's where they're going to spend part of the year going forward in the future. And it's like that's the kind of Christian I want to be when I get to that point in my life where I'm financially secure enough to to be able to do that and pour ourselves out to reach people that's not lame no not at all (laughs) and i want to go back for a moment to the notion that to have an exciting walk and and for christianity to be exciting that you have to travel overseas it's just so not the case i mean right you talk about on the low level of you know getting more involved in your church outreach prison ministry you know, addiction ministry, there are so many things that you can get involved in, and the need here is very great. And, I mean, you look at somebody like Shane Claiborne, who is a true radical. He's one of the few true radicals that still exist and are around anymore. This is a guy who established a sort of commune in Philadelphia, and he wrote a book uh, that was well-received a number of years ago called Jesus for President, and he lays out how radical believing in Christ is and putting that belief to practice in your life. And he did it to an extreme, but there are so many stops along that spectrum that Christianity can get as exciting for you as you want it to be. It's like anything else in that sense. It is what you make it. Yes, you can go to church on Sunday and and that very well might get dull. The messages might get stale. You might see the same people and I can understand people thinking that, that, that that's dull, especially that's, if that's been their experience growing up. But as an adult, if you really own your faith and you find ways and you ask God for opportunities to work your faith, you're not going to be bored. There's so many things you can do and so many exciting things you can do. Mm. Totally agree. Also, Sean, you spoke earlier about looking at our faith not as something that's passive, but as something that's active. Right. For us who almost feel like uh, the religious tolerance of our culture would be an excuse for us to be passive or to be complacent. We should focus on being active and we should be um, opportunists. I remember last family camp, Sean, you talked about being an opportunist and like the Energizer Bunny going, always going. Um, And I think because it almost seems like America is post-Christian, Sometimes I think America is ready for a true Christianity that they almost can't recognize anymore. They think they know what it is, passive, you know, just abstaining. I think we should seek to be active and we should seek to show them something that they haven't seen before. Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunity in service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times evangelism and service partner well together. If you're in a soup kitchen and you're volunteering your time on a Saturday to feed hungry people, then 
other volunteers in the room are going to be more inclined to hear what you have to say. The people who are eating the food that you're serving them are more inclined to hear what you have to say. And other areas of service, like, for example, building houses for Habitat for Humanity. And this this is something that is extremely useful for people and really can give you open doors of utterance. So I think there, there's plenty of opportunity to be an indigenous missionary. I think if you are young and God's calling you, then just go. Don't tell yourself excuses. Go. We need missionaries. Honestly, we do. We need missionaries in Africa. We need missionaries in other countries. But if you're like me, I'm a father of three, soon to be four. Going's not really an option for me, so I'm staying. But while I'm staying, am I just sitting around and do nothing, I want to I wanna make a difference in the world for Christ, you know? And I think we can do that. We can invite people to come to church. And the moment there's one new person there, everything changes. Now it's exciting. Now it's like, whoa, how are they going to receive the message? What's the preacher going to say? What's the music going to be like, right? <laughs> and uh, What's uh, so-and-so going to do who usually does this or that, right? And so there, there, is, there is a lot of excitement to that. And look, we're talking about people's eternal lives here. We're talking about something that's high stakes. This is not like whether or not you have to take some heart medication 20 years down the road, right? This is, this is like whether or not you're going to have eternal life or perish on the day of judgment. It's a big deal. And I think if we recognize the stakes then that can help us to recover some of the excitement of being part of the team that Jesus is using in the 21st century to reach people. Christianity is a religion. It's been corporatized. It's been monetized. It's been, it's basically been co-opted by non-Christian values to a large degree. But if you read the gospel and you strip away everything that's happened from the first century until now, it's about one man, his group of followers who went from town to town, sharing a message, being persecuted, being thrown in jail, dragged before the authorities. It's, it's, the gospel accounts are incredibly exciting, and that dynamic doesn't exist in the U.S. today, but there are ways that you can squeeze that excitement out of it and, and take your, your faith and apply it and look back at the gospel and, being, and say, I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm doing what the first, you know, what the first century church did, which is spreading the word, Spreading the message that God is love. There are a significant number of ways to do that, both large and small, with low investment and high investment. I think we can come against this objection that Christianity is lame just directly and say, look, it's not lame. You're wrong. I mean, I don't know if that would work in a conversation, but (laughs) look, if I even take something take something as low energy as prayer. Quiet prayer. Prayer is not lame. Prayer is where you are in in a connection with and speaking to and listening to the almighty creator of the universe who actually cares about you. That's not lame. That's relational, right? So I don't think that, I don't think that's lame. I don't think reading the Bible is lame. I I find the reading the Bible to be very enjoyable and very meaningful and very life-changing and very challenging and interesting I didn't already say that. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think any of it's lame. First of all, I just think it's, I think it's just all a misnomer. I don't think it's lame. That's a, a false accusation. And I don't think the things that 
our society calls fun are really fun. I don't think getting drunk is fun because what is it really? When I first came to Christ as a teenager and I repented of my drunkenness, I still went to the parties with my friends. And you know what? It turns out our parties were lame. <laughs> I was just drunk, so I didn't notice, right? And seriously, if you sit around, you see a whole bunch of drunk people sitting on a couch talking to each other, it's pathetic. It's not <laughs> like, it's not profound, like, or, or stone people. They think they're discovering the mysteries of the universe, but in reality, their, their conversation is just totally lame. And then you have all the risks involved with that. You could get injured. You could find yourself in a situation the next day that you really don't want to be in. And then you have the hangover. Hangovers aren't fun. We can all agree on that, right? If you think doing drugs is fun, whether we're talking about marijuana or hard drugs, whatever, there's an enslavement and there's an addiction aspect to that. And I know that people say today, oh, marijuana isn't addictive. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I think we've all met stoners who, whose brains are fried, whose motivation for life is dead, and who don't seem to be able to not smoke. So what, what is that? Well, the notion that marijuana is an addictive is, I don't personally subscribe to it. Maybe it's not chemically addictive, but you can be addicted to anything. You can be yeah. addicted to soda. You can be addicted mm -hmm. to parking your car a certain way just because, you know, we're talking about habits. Right. And habits form when you do a particular action over and over again. And I've known people who in high school were incredibly smart, uh, athletic, just gifted in a, many different ways. And they got into smoking weed and it turned into a habit and it turned into an, an addiction for them. And just like you said, it saps your, your drive. And I've seen that personally. And the same thing with alcohol. It says, I don't know the exact verse, but something like drunkenness is dissipation. Mm -hmm. It dissipates your spirit. It leads to a host of, 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 of issues. And right. it's not fun. No, it's not fun. It might be fun the first, like, you know, however many times you do it, but eventually if you do it enough, it becomes a problem. Right. And right. Sean, like you were talking about the sin aspect of it in John eight, and we mentioned this in a podcast not too long ago, but just being free from that cycle of sin and the freedom of sin, it's, it's, it can be freeing that John 8 says, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you, you will be free indeed. When you have something that replaces sin in your life with, with goodness, with following Christ, you don't have the desire to do those things anymore. And it has a freeing effect on your life. Yeah. You don't definitely. feel you don't feel the compulsion to to do those things anymore. Yeah. Take for example, uh sleeping around. People say, "Oh, that's so fun. You know, I get to hook up with this person, hook <laughs> up with that person or whatever." And there's there's an undeniable aspect of pleasure associated with that, but it's all performance. It's not what God designed. It's it's not anxiety-free. You, you feel guilty, you have the risk of sexually transmitted diseases, you have the risk of unwanted pregnancy, and the whole thing, like I said, is a performance. It's not people giving themselves to each other, like 1 Corinthians 7 says, that a man will not have authority over his own body, but his wife. And a wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. And that in Christian marriage, there is the commitment, which is the foundation for vulnerability, and then you can have a sexual encounter that is far 
more satisfying than hooking up with a random person that you don't know and hoping that you don't pick something up. So, and I don't think that's really fun. I think in the end, what it does is it, it either objectifies women or your heart does get involved and then it doesn't work out because you didn't start from the right place and now your heart is wounded and so is hers or his, depending on who we're talking about here. So I, I don't think the things that people are saying are fun are really fun. And I think the a lot of the aspects of Christianity are actually fun. And I think a lot of fun is neutral. But in the end, I don't think fun really matters anyhow. I mean, fun is fun is trite. <laughs> Happiness is not the highest aim in life, right? I mean, what is the highest aim? Finding your purpose and doing that. Being authentic to what God has called you to do, for what to what God has made you to be. That's the kind of targets we want to aim for in life, not fun. Fun is trite. Fun is passing. It's like a wave. It's gone. All right, now what? Now what do we do? I'm bored. <laughs> right? So I, I don't even think fun is really even that interesting. And so as Christians, let's talk about stuff that really matters. Let's Let's be in a relationship with each other that is deeper than just hey, let's go out and, and do some fun thing and hope we don't have to deal with too many consequences. So I was listening to a podcast recently and they mentioned the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes from, you know, having things you want, creature comforts, doing things that you enjoy doing. Joy comes from a deep-seated satisfaction and contentment with your life where it's going, and how you live it, the principles that you live it by. And so Philippians 1 talks about um, Paul's writing to the Philippians, obviously, and he says that in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And then he goes down in verse, uh, I guess this is 18. Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't think Paul was happy in prison. I think Paul had joy mm. in prison. Because his situation worked towards the furtherance of the gospel. And yeah, he might might have been dirty and filthy and injured and, and cut up. But I mean, you, you listen to the language and he's, he's expressing joy that, that his situation, though dire, has advanced the cause of Christ. And, you know, we're talking about, Sean, you, you mentioned happiness and like that happiness isn't the be all end all. How many times have you heard somebody say, I just want them to be happy? Yeah. I just want mm. to be happy. Yeah. Happiness isn't going to sustain you. Joy and contentment will. So joy transcends the situation. And joy uh, joy looks forward. Joy is related to hope. Paul can be there in prison, and he's probably not happy about a lot of things that are in, in his here and now. Um, but he knows the hope that we have to come. In 1 Corinthians 15, too, um, he, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But since Christ has risen from the dead, we have this hope. 
we have this joy which can transcend the difficulties and the pain that we may feel um, in our current situation. And he also has that verse where he talks about the secret of being content uh, and that he's figured it out. And Paul was, he, he lived a very hard life. Imagine being there in that, in that space where no matter your physical circumstances, you have this deep and unquenchable joy because of the hope. That's where I want to be. When you have that kind of joy and you're living for something other than yourself, you're not bored. It's not lame. You're joyful and you're content. Yeah. So much of the New Testament, I mean, maybe this word is a little overused, but to me seems the opposite of lame. It seems so epic. You look at what Christ did. You look at Paul's ministry. It was epic and it was brave and it was courageous and it was gutsy. Um, and that is the heritage that we have. It's so funny that we're sitting here, you know, feeling lame today when we look at the heritage that we have and, <laughs> you know, those who have gone before us. <laughs> As in so many things that you choose to do in your life, Sean, you run marathons. Um, correction, I ran a marathon. You, you, <laughs> he trains for marathons constantly. Um, you run marathons. People, we all have jobs. Um, Sean, you're married. With all these things that we really want and that we have great joy in, we're willing to make sacrifices along the way, but we count the cost before going into it. And all of these things that we do, I mean, maybe my job is lame from time to time, but it's something that we choose. And we believe, um, you know, our desire for it and the joy that we have in it, it's totally worth it for, for the things that we have to do that we're not, you know, super excited about and for the things that we have to say no to. It's fine. It's like any relationship or any commitment. If you're going to be serious about it, you're going to adopt a lifestyle that's compatible with what you want. It's like that with Christianity too. My salvation and my relationship with God are big enough and really epic enough for me. It's the other stuff that's lame. I can get rid of the other stuff. And if you are feeling lame in your in your walk with God, I've certainly, certainly felt that. It's not a phenomenon that you should look at and be like, oh, I'm a bad Christian. You should ask God for opportunities to engage. You should seek out opportunities to engage. Chances are the town, the city, or the county that you live in has a homelessness program that you can get involved in. They have a food bank. They have a prison ministry. There's a need, and it's the barrier to entry is very low with these things. You're, you're literally asking to volunteer your time. People aren't going to turn you down. Find ways to enrich your, your walk. There are ways to cultivate your faith so that it's alive and it's breathing and it's moving. It doesn't have to be fellowship on Wednesday, church on Sunday, rinse, repeat. It can be, mm. it can be fervent and you can cultivate it. Yeah. And I, I think get involved too, because if you're sitting there as a receiver, as somebody who's expecting to be fed, that is proper when you're first coming to the faith. But at a certain point, you have to move from a receiver to a giver. And there are plenty, I'll just speak for my own church at Living Hope, that there are plenty of opportunities to serve from the uh, uh, what, what happens before the service to what happens during the service with the kids' ministry, with uh, the sound, with the video team, with the music, then also afterwards. I mean, we function on volunteerism. You get a different perspective when you're engaged, when you're on the team that's, that's putting on the service rather than just coming and then sitting in the chair and being like, oh, I like that song. I didn't like that one. I wonder if he's going to tell that joke again in the <laughs> sermon or whatever. It's, it's so easy to get cynical, and that, that, and that can happen to any of us. So what do you do? Well, you gotta, if you feel this is in your heart, like Dan said, you got to pray and ask God and make a change. 
And maybe you should volunteer in a big brother or big sister program. Maybe you could do some other kind of ministry that you've never even thought of before. I mean, the online opportunities abound as well. Uh, There are suicide hotlines. I mean, there are so many different ways to be involved with people's lives. Rose volunteers over at the college, and she goes door-to-door and witnesses to these snobby uh, college students that think they know everything and think they're going to live forever and think that Christianity is lame. You know, I mean, go, do too. <laughs> go volunteer over there. Uh, it's some Christian um, college outreach program if you're into that. But having fun on the deck of the Titanic, so we're all going to get drunk and then the ship is going to go down or getting prepared for the day of judgment. I mean, you look at the words of John the Baptist. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You look at how Jesus called people to repentance, how the first generation of Christians went out there and preached that message, come what may. And there is a fact that Jesus is coming back, and we don't know when it is. There are a lot of knuckleheads who think they know when it is, but (laughs) we're not going to get into that. But in light of that, this is too important to just exclude, oh, this. who cares, it's just a bunch of lame people. No, it's not lame. This is life and death. This is important. This is salvation. This is the gospel message. It's a salvation in the future, in the resurrection, and it's a meaningful life now where we're following Christ. And if it's not impacting your life, if it's not changing and challenging you, then maybe you missed something. Maybe you need to go back and read the Gospels. Maybe we all do. Mm-hmm. And, and see what kind of person Jesus is calling us to be and, to, and what sorts of things he's calling us to do. And, and see what happens. I would say if you're feeling like this, or even if you're not, <laughs> if, just get yourself out there, expose yourself, say yes to things, and just get involved. You can't throw a stick without hitting an opportunity to serve. Thank you all for listening. I hope this was encouraging and uplifting. And please leave us feedback online. We read every single comment. We really take it to heart. And and we appreciate every little bit of feedback that we get. Because without people listening to this, we wouldn't be doing it. So thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Also, those of you who are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Dan says don't do it. I say if you're going to do it. Consider your spiritual walk with the Lord as part of that. I would say look into ways of not just stopping old habits, but starting new ones that can be done to the glory of God, that can be done to make a difference in other people's lives, that can be done even if it costs you something or if it's somewhat dangerous or risky. But if it's what God's calling you to do, then just do it. <laughs> That's awesome, Sean. Um, also, if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, like my experience with that has been don't go in with the mindset, go big or go home, because you're going to go home if it's like that. <laughs> you're going to fall down, get back up again. You know, January like 10th, 11th rolls around and you start to slack, start over again. Keep going. Keep at it. You're going to fall down. Your spiritual walk is worth it. You're not going to go big immediately, but don't go home. Keep going for God. My experience with resolutions is if you make ultimatums for yourself, when you fail them, and you will, (laughs) you're going to give up on the whole thing. So just be patient with yourself. And like Rose said, set attainable goals. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, everyone. Please join the conversation. As always, share your thoughts. Give us comments. Tell us uh, what you struggle with um, about Christianity and why you think it's epic. Uh, We hope we've challenged and inspired you. I'm going to say goodbye in Yiddish tonight. Zai gesund.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for taking the time with us today. And I just wanted to read out some comments. We had quite a bit of feedback that I need to read out here. The first is from Brian on podcast 62, Why Does God Allow Suffering? And he writes, this was a solid class with great information. Thanks for sharing this. I had never heard the barbershop parable before, but now, given the opportunity, I won't hesitate to share it. Just remember, Brian, wait until after they're done with your haircut before you share anything controversial with your barber. Anyhow, he goes on. Also, thank you for taking the time to respond to my comment on Offscript 17. While I wasn't trying to be controversial or trying to humble you, I found your response refreshing compared to the usual responses I receive when I mention those issues. Thanks again. Brian here is talking about a class, an apologetics class I've been running on Thursdays. And we actually just finished that up last Thursday. So if you missed out on that and want to check it out, you can get that on restitudio.org or in your podcast app. Just uh, go back a few episodes and you'll see it there. It was a 15-lecture class that I had delivered at the Atlanta Bible College, which you can actually take through them, distance learning. It's just kind of a strange class because I had to cover so many different kinds of issues that come up against Christianity, and I had to pick and choose which sorts of things to cover. And in fact, the last time I taught this class, I included different objections than the ones that you heard there. But that's just the nature of apologetics. And like I said in the beginning of that class, I certainly don't have all the answers. Uh, I know some of the questions. I know some answers. But this is something that all of us need to do our due diligence on to come up with answers to our friends and family when they raise objections against Christianity and see if we can't push back on some of the world's ways of thinking about these important subjects. So on to the next comment, which is from Joshua, who apparently is a Rose fan. He commented on Offscript 19, more on why God allows suffering, which was where Rose, Dan, and I had a roundtable discussion about this issue of why God allows suffering. And Joshua writes, man, that was awesome. Rose is a transparent heavy hitter. Love her well-chosen words. And so do we, Joshua, so do we. If you want to listen to that, that's off script episode 19, more on why God allows suffering. And you can hear what uh, Rose's experience has been with suffering in her life and how she thinks about it. On Offscript episode 20, the Christmas special. I know some of you are dying to find out who won the stocking challenge. We had quite a few people leave some comments. In fact, too many for me to read out here. So let me just tally the results. Kim says that she loves stockings and that she likes them after the main presence. Miranda says that she's an ex-Jehovah's Witness, so she's not really into Christmas, and this has been a challenge, but if she did it again, she would celebrate Christmas this time, but in a limited way. So Miranda did not have an opinion on the stocking issue. Brian says that this was a fun discussion. He's with Dan, that you should do the stockings after the presents. 
And he's and he says about Rose's ethnic secret that it was no surprise. He almost guessed it. <laughs> and then Vicky writes and Vicky says that she does stockings Christmas Eve. So that's two for after, one for before. Paul Peterson says growing up he did the stockings first, before breakfast or any other presents. However, as he's matured, he has been increasingly drawn to the Christmas stocking as dessert viewpoint. So I don't know where to classify Paul here. And then last of all, Valerie, Dan's mother, chimed in and said she likes the stockings after the main presents, but I'm not sure if we should really count that because she is likely the originator of this deviant practice so counting it all up, we have three after the main presence and two before the main presence. I guess there you have it. Do your stockings after the presence next year. Thus says Restitutio Offscript. And uh, if you want to disagree with that, please feel free to jump on and leave your vote on that issue. I'm waiting for more pre-present stocking voters to come in before I uh, make a final declaration here. As far as the next comments, we had a couple on the Bible is too antiquated, and then one comment on Christian views of sexuality. So, hey, it's too much to read out right here, right now, but we're so glad you guys are engaging, that you're letting your voices be heard. If you would like to join in the mix and interact with some of the comments on these podcast episodes, why not go on today to restitutio.org and click on the podcast in the menu and you'll be able to find whatever episode you're interested in and you can leave a comment. If you haven't already, might as well like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. All the info for that is on restitutio.org. And if you'd like to be alerted when new episodes come out, why not subscribe to us on email so that you get emails keeping you up to date on what's going on. So thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week with something new and exciting. Remember, the truth has nothing to fear.